0: I ask you now to open up your Bibles and let's turn together to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And this morning we get to look at one of the most encouraging and wonderful truths in all of Scripture the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. In Acts 2 we have the record of something amazing that Jesus did. Uh, Throughout the Gospels Jesus had been preparing a group of disciples for the day when he would send them out into the world. He had walked with them, he had talked with them, he had instructed them, he had cared for them and just before he ascended into heaven he told them the time had not yet come for them to go out into the world with his great message of salvation he said wait just a little bit longer because he was going to send to them a special anointing from god they were going to receive the power of the holy spirit to enable them and empower them as they stood before the masses and kings and judges To proclaim courageously that Jesus is Lord. Mount Hermon, these men had been fishermen and tax collectors. They were normal, everyday guys. But they would be common men no longer. The Spirit was going to make them into true apostles. The Spirit was going to teach their minds and was going to give them bravery and love and passion so that they could stand before kings and judges without fear. And now in Acts chapter 2, Jesus from the right hand of God in heaven sends upon them this Holy Spirit. And immediately we see the mission of the apostles begin. Peter, the leader of the apostles, had just a few weeks ago denied Jesus three times. Now he stands before thousands and he proclaims the gospel with boldness. And verse 24 is part of his gospel sermon. And verse 24 is where I want us to look right now. So look at that verse, speaking of Jesus Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Friends, marvel at those first four words God raised him up. Peter is preaching the truth of the resurrection. He says to the Jewish people, you killed the Messiah. You crucified the one you've been waiting for since way back in Genesis 3.15. You have been waiting millennia, thousands of years for this man to come. And he came. And you killed him. And God raised him up. Friends, the Bible teaches a true resurrection. Jesus really died. As God, he did not die. God cannot die. In his divinity, Jesus has never known death. But in the womb of Mary, the second person of the Godhead ...took humanity upon himself... ...so that Jesus is God and man... ...and as man, God died. As man, the second person of the Trinity... ...experienced death. Contrary to what some have said... ...Jesus did not simply pass out on the cross. He did not simply lose consciousness. He was tortured... Crucified, pierced in the side with a spear. In all likelihood, Jesus asphyxiated, meaning that he actually died of suffocation, probably choking on his own blood. Due to his feet being nailed to the cross and the weariness of all he had been through, Jesus was unable to continue lifting up himself to fill his lungs with air. He cried, It is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ died. His heart stopped beating. His brain stopped waving. His body turned cold. And a limp corpse was taken by Joseph of Arimathea and placed in a tomb. In our day, we typically don't see the dead in their deadness. We are spared from the brutality of death by those who put makeup on our dead at the funeral homes. We have an open casket funeral. And we say, oh, doesn't she look beautiful? Doesn't he look distinguished? Doesn't he look at peace in his caskets? And we begin to treat death as if it isn't such a terrible thing. But friends, death is a terrible thing. Death is brutal. And there is nothing beautiful about it. If you were to look... I don't know why it's doing that. That's my coat. If you were to look upon the dead body of Jesus laid out in that tomb, You would have not looked at it and said, doesn't he look distinguished? Doesn't he look at peace? His was a mangled, tortured, pierced body, now on its way to decay, resting in this tomb. And that's what makes those first four words so amazing, that God raised him up. This was a true bodily resurrection. God restored the body of Christ. This pierced, mangled, bruised, limp, cold, non beating heart, non brain waving body. We'll use this mic. Suddenly, the heart was beating and the brain was waving. And the warmth returned, and the bruises began to heal. Um, so a movie last night, right, guy had a, a fatal wound and a little, a little tear of a phoenix, and all of a sudden the, you just saw the bruises go away, right? All of a sudden the bruises on Christ, they're just fading, they're just fading, and, and, and warmth is there, and he, he's breathing again, and, and, and then what was dead is alive. He was able to show his disciples the marks in his hands, the place where the spear pierced his side, but he was completely healed. He was completely restored. Indeed, Jesus' body experienced a greater resurrection than even that, for his body was now freed from the curse that was and is upon man. Jesus received the first truly glorified body. Jesus was the first person to ever receive a body where no sickness is possible. No death is again possible. It is a glorified body. It was a physical body that the disciples could could touch. But it was a heavenly body. It was a body fit for a new world. A world made perfect. That Jesus was raised from the dead was witnessed not only by his disciples, but by more than 500 people. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he pointed out that many of the people who witnessed Jesus after his death were still alive at the time that he wrote that letter. It's almost as if he's encouraging the Corinthians, go, find these people, interview them, talk to them. They will attest to you that what I am saying is true. The apostles were sent out to proclaim this message. We have seen the risen Lord Jesus. He is now exalted over all. Indeed, as important as the message of the cross is, The main message that we see being preached by the apostles in the book of Acts is He is risen and He is now Lord. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised Him up and He sits at the right hand of God and He is Lord over all. Trust and obey this King. Our verse says God raised Him up. Loosing the pangs of death. Does everybody see that? Loosing the pangs of death. You know what pangs are. You've probably experienced these sharp moments of pain in your stomach or in your chest or in your head. But how do you loosen pangs? How do you loosen pangs? Well, everyone notice that word pangs because it has a double meaning. And Peter uses this word on purpose because he means both things. These meanings are connected, these meanings are important. Literally, that word pangs can mean two things it can mean cords, cords, C O R D S, and it can mean birth pains, birth pangs. Same word, cords. And birth pains, and it can be translated either way. The ESV tries to show us the idea of cords with the verb loosen. You loosen cords. So picture someone all wrapped up in cords, right? They're, they're completely wrapped up in cords, and they can't get out. On, on several occasions, I've played this game with kids where you, where you take toilet paper And the groups race to see how quickly they can wrap one of the kids up in in toilet paper so that they become like a a mummy. And you wrap them up till all you can see is is their eyes. So picture somebody completely bound up, but not in toilet paper, in, in cords. You're bound by them. You're completely wrapped up in them. And we're told that this is the kind of hold that death had over Jesus Christ. Death had encompassed Christ, had wrapped up Christ in its cords. Jesus had truly died. Death's cords had him. But wait. God loosened the cords. And Jesus escaped the snare of death. And he is risen. And then there's that other meaning. Pangs or birth pangs. And it always refers, by the way, to birth pangs, not just pangs in general. And so Peter preaches to the crowds, and here's what he says. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead by loosening him from the birth pangs of death. What? How do you describe death as birth pangs? Birth, death. These things seem contradictory. But he says Jesus' death was birth pangs. Well, the idea here is sweet, and it is wonderful. Birth pangs hurt. Ask any mother who delivered her first child naturally and without the aid of pain medication, if you can find one, and she will tell you it hurts to have a baby. But those pains, while severe, are also temporary, and they lead to new life. Peter says that Jesus' death on the cross was exactly like this. Jesus experienced a true death, but his suffering and death was but birth pangs. His suffering was temporary, and the result was new life. From his death, he arose new and alive. Indeed, As a human being, Jesus was now more alive than he had ever been at any point, even before the cross. Jesus' body was now free from all the effects of the fall. Indeed, exalted by his Father, he is now able to give physical and spiritual life to others. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said to his disciples. But I especially want to draw your attention to the last words of our verse. See those last words of our verse. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I wonder if you've ever noticed those words before. Here is an Easter truth that may be sometimes overlooked Sometimes missed. Make sure you don't miss it. We have in this verse the utter inevitability of the resurrection. That Jesus could not stay dead. It was an impossibility for Jesus to stay dead. When up is down, when light is darkness, when cows fly to Venus and swim in a pool of Kool-Aid, then Jesus could stay dead. In an impossible world, Jesus could stay dead. But in the real world, Jesus could not stay dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was an amazing miracle. But there was no way it wasn't going to happen. It was a moral, it was a judicial necessity. God would have to cease being God for Jesus not to have gotten up from that Tune. And so here's the truth I want us to hear this morning. It was impossible for Jesus to stay dead. Now, here's your Easter exam. I know you came wanting to take an Easter exam this morning. It's one question. It's an essay question. Here it is. Why was it impossible for Jesus to stay dead? Teenagers in the room, could you answer that question on an exam? Adults in the room, could you answer that question on an exam? Here is the answer that I would give for why Jesus could not stay dead. Death is the wages of sin. Death is God's curse upon sin. But now, having died on the cross, since there is no longer any sin remaining for which Christ needs to be cursed... He must not remain dead. Death is only just when it comes as punishment for sin. Since Jesus had fully paid the debt for our sins, it would not have been just for God to let Him remain dead. I want to make two statements. I hope you'll listen carefully to both of them. I think they're important. Here's the first one. The sins of Christ's people were fully judged at the cross. The sins of Christ's people were fully judged at the cross. So I I want to make this personal. All of us in here are sinners. All of us in here have rebelled against God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Friend, you are a body and a soul. That's what you are. You're not a body that happens to have a soul. You're not a soul that happens to be in a body. You are a body and a soul. That is how God created you. And when God told Adam that the wages of his sin would be death, that if he broke God's commandment, the result would be death, he meant that he would die completely. Your body is owed certain wages because of your sin. And your soul is owed certain wages by God because of your sin. And the wage that you are owed by the justice of God is death. That's what you've earned. You've worked in sin to earn death for your soul and death for your body. How does a soul die? Well, it doesn't die by ceasing to exist. Dear friend, your soul will never cease to exist annihilationism the teaching that God simply annihilates the souls of unbelievers so that they cease to exist that is a false doctrine unbiblical a human soul has a beginning but it has no end so how does a human soul die well death for the human soul means suffering It means experiencing the wrath of God poured out upon your soul. If you are here and you're not a Christian, this is what God owes to your soul. As judge over all, He owes your soul the wage of hell. Why? Because you've sinned against an infinitely good and an infinitely pure God. If you're a Christian... Jesus took upon His human soul the death that yours deserved at the cross. Jesus in His human soul experienced hell for you. He experienced in a few hours the kind of agony that unbelievers will experience in hell forever. And Jesus did not experience it halfway. He experienced it all. Jesus Fully absorbed the wrath of God in his human soul in our place on the cross. He propitiated God's wrath. That is, he fully appeased God's wrath so that justice is satisfied. There is certainly mystery here and questions I cannot answer. But Jesus' human soul experienced death for all who will ever trust in him. He died for His bride. But Jesus did not simply die in His soul. He died in His body. He had become a true man, and this meant having a human body that was affected by the fall. And so Jesus knew what it was to suffer physically, to suffer emotionally, to suffer mental agony. He knew what it was to be hungry and to be sick, to be tired and to thirst. And in all this, He never sinned. But in order to die for us in our place, he had to have a true human body. And in that body, he died. Now, Jesus' death in body and soul was so perfect and complete that after he was in the tomb, there was no longer any moral reason for him to stay dead. He had died for the sins of his people Those sins were now completely paid for. The glory of God had been vindicated. And the work of Jesus to save His people from their sins was finished. It would be unjust for God to let Jesus remain under the curse of death. And because God is good, He therefore raised Jesus from the dead. Now listen to our second statement. Jesus completed his mission of perfect obedience. Jesus accomplished his mission of perfect obedience. Remember George W. Bush, mission accomplished, the big banner on the ship, right? Well, there was debate about whether he should have done that. I remember that. Jesus Christ truly accomplished his mission In other words, Jesus could no longer be under the curse of death and remain dead. Not only because our sins had been completely paid for, and not only because he himself didn't have any sins in himself to pay for, but it isn't right for one who has perfectly obeyed God to be left under a curse and not to be blessed. Jesus had a wage too. Your wage that you're owed is death, and God took it for you. Jesus took it for you. But Jesus earned a wage that the Father was thrilled to pay. You see, just as disobedience to God deserves death, obedience to God deserves blessing and glory and honor. From the very beginning, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, we read that God always curses disobedience, but He exalts and blesses the righteous. No one has ever had a tougher mission than Jesus Christ. No one has ever had a more difficult race to run set before them than Jesus Christ. But Jesus remained faithful to God and obeyed in the midst of the most trying circumstances Jesus was called by His Father to leave the glories of heaven, to suffer a life of being misrepresented, misunderstood, having no place to lay His head. He was called to experience the temptations of the devil and not give in. He was called to experience being forsaken by His friends, betrayed by one of His disciples. He was called by God to willingly submit to being opposed by religious leaders, eventually being stripped Beaten, mocked, spat upon, crucified. Friends, you think God has given you a tough race to run. Jesus had the most incredibly difficult race to run. And he did it all with meekness and humility and with a love for his father. At the end of the day, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many And He, in obedience to His Father, willingly laid His life down. He ran His race and He finished it well. How can Jesus stay dead? When a runner finishes his race and goes across that finish line, what should happen next? When an Olympian competes and the Olympian gets a perfect score, perfect tens, What should happen next? They receive their prize. They receive the wage that they have earned. And the wage that Jesus earned by His perfect obedience to the Father was a crown of glory. And so because God loves to bless the obedient, He raised Jesus from the dead. And as the living God-man, He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Notice what Peter preaches after verse 24. I just want you to hear some more of Peter's sermons. So pick up in verse 25. Verse 25. Speaking of Jesus. For David says concerning him. I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my glad, heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter preaches, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Friends, Jesus Christ lived the life you and I have failed to live. He did what Adam failed to do. He obeyed his father perfectly. And he has now received his prize. As the second Adam, he is Lord over all. Even the Holy Spirit has been given to him for him to distribute as he sovereignly wills. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. He could not stay dead. Was a moral impossibility. So, what's the application for us? Well, I'm just going to give you one, and here it is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that he has the authority to save your soul. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means he now has the authority to save your soul. Dear friends, do you know? your need for salvation. Do you understand that God cannot just wink at your sins? He cannot, and He will not. There is nothing more sure than the Word of God. And the Word of God declares that all who remain in their sin when they die will be condemned forever by God. If you're here this morning and you are an unbeliever, the greatest problem you have in your life right now is your problem with God. Nothing else. This is the issue of greatest urgency in your life. Not something to do with money or relationships or a job. This is the issue of greatest moment in your life right now. Because if you die today, you will stand before God. And He is a good God you are a criminal. And that means he will do what goodness demands he do. He will condemn you. Do not think that this life is what matters. This life is a vapor. Don't be deceived by the here and now. The here and now is not going to last. It is appointed for man once to die. And then comes the judgment. Dear friend, on your own, you are a guilty person waiting to stand before a holy God and the judgment He is going to pronounce is sure. It is the death penalty. For the wages of sin is death. What can you do? Well, you can't try and make things right on your own. When you've broken the law, no amount of trying to do better now is going to make up for the fact that you broke the law. Besides, you still have a sinful heart. Try as you might to resolve and do better, it won't happen. The only power that can make you more obedient, more holy, more loving is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. An unbeliever, you don't have that power in your life. But here is the great news of the resurrection God has given authority to Jesus Christ to save you. Jesus did everything necessary to make it right for God to save you. It is the great exchange. When Jesus was on the cross, He took the sins of His people onto Himself. When we believe on Jesus, all His perfect righteousness, His race ran well, is accounted to us. In other words, God treated Jesus on the cross as if it was us on the cross. And if you believe on Jesus, God treats you as if you have lived the perfect life that Christ lived. For those who trust Christ, there is no more wrath against them. That wrath has been appeased. There is only love and blessing and God's favor forever. Friends, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to have the Holy Spirit living in your life, making you a purer, humbler, more loving person? Don't you want to not have God as your enemy, but as your friend? Then stop rebelling against God. That's what repentance is. It's the resolution that I will fight against God no more. I will bow to Him. I will learn from Him how to live with integrity. Look at what Peter told the people at the end of his sermon. Look down at verse 37, acts2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter said, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." for this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter proclaims to the crowd that Jesus Christ has run his race and as an obedient son, it was not right for God to leave him dead. No, it was impossible for death to hold him. He had to raise up, he had to go to his rightful place as the son of the living God, crowned in glory and honor with the Holy Spirit having been given to him so that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation can be saved by his sovereign will. And my message to you is the same as Peter's. How can you be saved? Repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Wait a minute. I thought we were saved by faith. Not not baptism. Well, that's right. People, People are saved when they turn from their sins and trust Jesus alone. Why did Peter say be baptized? Because that's how you express your faith. Being baptized in the name of Jesus is the way we publicly identify ourselves as trusting Jesus. In baptism, we die to our old self as we go under the water. And we rise again to a new life of trusting Jesus for our salvation as we come out of the water. And so if there is anyone here who has not turned from your sins, anyone here who has not believed on Christ, I would urge you this morning to do so. If you try and make things right with God on your own, you just sin more because it was God who provided Christ for you. It is God who sets Christ before you as the way of salvation. To neglect what God has provided for you and to try and do it your own way, that's even more sin. You're just digging your hole deeper. Don't try and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't try and resolve, I'm going to make myself better with God. God has provided the way of salvation. It is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him. God commands everyone, everywhere, to be saved by taking hold of Jesus Christ. It is a loving command. God knows what is best for you. Don't go to hell. Because you refuse to humble yourself. Don't go to hell because you refuse to be loved by the most loving father this world has ever known. Become like a child, humble yourself, and take hold of Jesus Christ. Pray for him to save you. Commit to following him and show it by being baptized in his name. Amen. Let's pray.